Welcome back. It is time for My Side of the Universe on KOAL 107.3 FM at 7.50 AM. I'm your host, Todd Wilcox, and it is time for my favorite hour of the week. Uh, we are going to be joined today by a, a man who has written multiple books. We're going to mostly talk about his new book called The Believer, Alien Encounters, Hard Science, and the Passion of John Mack. His name is Ralph Blumenthal. You can find him at ralphblumenthal.com. And he's going to be at Contact in the Desert, my absolute favorite thing to go to. Uh, that's June 25th through 28th. Be sure to, to go online and, and look that up. It's going to be online this year. It's all virtual. So you can do it from anywhere. You don't have to go to California to do this. Um, it does take away a little bit that you don't have the people standing right there next to you, but you have all this great access online. You're safe. There's, you know, you're not worried about getting, catching anything and so convenient. You don't have to worry about flights or drives or anything like that. So really cool. Love what they've done with contact in the desert this year. Check that out. It's June 25th and 28th. And be sure to go to our sponsors, the Eastern Utah History and Tourism Association. Go see Bobcat. Go miss go see Miss Kitty. Have fun down at their shop. They have a cat. They have a ghost. They have all kinds of great stuff to check out. Be sure to support them so they can keep supporting my side of the universe. We'll be back in just a moment with Ralph Blumenthal on my side of the universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. Welcome back to My Side of the Universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. I'm your host, Todd Wilcox, and we have Ralph Blumenthal with me today. And he is going to talk about a couple of his books, and he's also going to be at Contact in the Desert, my absolute favorite event to go to. That's going to be June 25th through the 28th. He's one of the speakers at it. And... Um, like I said, we're going to talk about a couple of his books. One is The Believer, and the other one is Miracle at Sing Sing. Uh, you can find him at Ralph Blumenthal at or ralphblumenthal.com, and maybe just start looking at what he's done and get an idea of what's going on. Obviously, don't do it if you're driving, but if you're the passenger or if you're at home, look him up. Ralph, welcome to my side of the universe. Todd, thank you for having me. Pleasure. Yeah, this is exciting. I um. As I was looking through the, the work that you've done, what, what drew me to you was your book, The Believer. Um, but then as I, I started looking at your other books, Miracle at Sing Sing um, is such a beautiful story. And it, and it really hit me um, you know, in a, I don't even know what level to call it, a, a vibrational level um, where, where we just need to do more things like you did with Miracle at Sing Sing. So even though it's an older book, we will definitely touch on that um, during the show today. Um, Great. But maybe what we do um, just to kick us off is um, talk a little bit about what you'll be doing at Contact in the Desert. Uh, are you going to be featured on a couple panels? What, what is it you're doing at Contact? Yeah. I'm going to do two things. I'm going to talk about my book, The Believer, which is a biography of John Mack, the uh, Harvard psychiatrist, who um, got interested and researched alien abduction, sort of counterintuitively, and uh, made quite a big splash because he was a, um, a, an eminent psychiatrist, very knowledgeable, very learned, very charismatic, and uh, ends up in, you know, in this rather unconventional field for a Harvard professor. So I'll be talking about that and the whole field of alien abduction. And I'm also going to do a workshop talking about what it's like to write a book like this after my uh, New York Times career uh, covering very earthbound subjects like uh, the mafia and Nazi war criminals and corruption and politics and other things that have nothing to do with, with aliens or spiritual or uh, anomalous matters. Um, and I talk a little bit about the craft of writing. Um, so I'll be doing two things there. That sounds fascinating. And, you know, one of the things I did think about as you were talking about John Mack and, and really how brave he was to step outside the norm, um, academia doesn't really encourage, I don't know how to say this correctly, but it doesn't encourage free thinking. Um, there's, there's certain standards that we believe and, and it seems like we try to justify those standards instead of really pushing and seeing what's new and what's out there. And, and many of the things that are on the fringe, alien abduction, different things like that, uh, are really frowned on. So that 
that could have very well cost him some friends, cost him some standing in the community, and it's not an easy thing to do. I would imagine that maybe even writing a book about that might have done the same thing to you with your credentials at the New York Times. Well, um, yeah, but not really because I approached it, as you'll see, you know, and readers will see from the book, um, really uh, letting the facts speak for themselves. I don't really take a position. I let, um, you know, John Mack's story emerge. I give all the reasons why he and, you know, other researchers give the whole subject some credence. Uh, there are very good, very good reasons for that. Um, and uh, and I was I was kind of caught up in that myself. But I, I do make an effort to keep my distance as a reporter and show that, you know, the facts speak, speak for themselves. It's not a question, as I say, I've said in the, you know, in New York Times articles elsewhere, that it's not a question of believing in certain things like UFOs, because UFOs exist. There's no doubt about that. Uh, they're caught on Navy, you know, videotapes, um, Navy thermal imaging devices, Navy pilots have actually seen them along with a lot of other people. Um, so it's, it's silly to say, do you believe in UFOs? It's like asking, do you believe in the ocean? You know, do you believe in the stars? Um, you know, uh, alien abduction is, is, is different, obviously, because there's not the same degree of, of um, uh, confirmation, physical confirmation. Um, it's, it's very anecdotal. But there are also reasons to give it uh, respectful attention, which John Mack and, you know, we can talk about. Um, but um, no one has said that I did anything, you know, inappropriate as a reporter or that I got, you know, caught up as a zealot. I really try to keep myself uh, outside that and, and to report on this. Excellent. And I've got to tell you that some of the finest reviews I have ever read are attached to The Believer and Miracle at Sing, Miracle at Sing, Sing. Um, As I was reading those reviews, I was... Um, I, I loved the way they were crafted. I loved how the people were passionate about what they were reviewing. Um, really some powerful reviews for both of those books. Um, as an outsider, I don't know if you if you knew that, but they are really good reviews. Oh, nice to hear. <laughs> so, um, it was nice to hear. You know, you, you do your best with a book. You don't know. You don't, I, I didn't write either book for, you know, um, uh, accolades, you know, you hope that people will get what you're doing. You hope to be doing the right thing in the writing. You know, writing is a very imprecise uh, art. Uh, um, you know, you, uh, you, you hope for the best. And luckily, as I say, in both cases, I got very good reviews. Miracle at Sing Sing actually got a respectful view, review from Governor Mario Cuomo. Yes. Um, uh, who really liked the story because he was very much involved in criminal justice matters. It's, you know, it's a story about a warden who really um, in, in, uh, took a very humanitarian view of his, uh, of his job at Sing Sing. He was really devoted to his, um, you know, the prisoners, his boys, as he called them, because they were all men at that time at Sing Sing. Actually, there were some women too, um, but he uh, called them his boys. And he did a lot for, uh, you know, re prison reform. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's comforting. Yeah, very much so. So what, what led you to looking at the, the different things that you were writing, the different books you wrote before, you know, crime, mafia, like you mentioned, what led you to John Mack? How did you, how did you decide to write a book about him? Well, um, you know, uh, every book I did, uh, Todd, really – uh, involved some synchronicity. And I come to believe that um, books sort of pick you, pick out the author rather than the author picking out the book. And it certainly was true in my case that um, every topic I hit on was the, the, the result of um, uh, something, you know, uh, nonlinear, let's say, some reaching out of the universe to stick the subject in my face and make me, uh, you know, tackle it, it was sort of irresistible. Uh, so that's what happened with John Mack. I was in Texas for the New York Times. I was the uh, Southeast correspondent, Southwest correspondent. And I picked up a copy of one of his, he wrote two best-selling books on uh, alien abduction. And the second one was called Passport uh, to the Cosmos. So I picked that up, I read it, not knowing anything about him. 
And I was amazed that a Harvard psychiatrist would be interested in this, you know, strange field of research, uh, the alien abduction phenomenon. And I thought, gee, I, I got to give this guy a call sometime. I, I mean, I was very naive. I, I knew nothing about him. I didn't know he was already famous. I didn't know he'd been on Oprah. I didn't know uh, he'd written a, a, a Pulitzer Prize winning biography of Lawrence of Arabia, which he did. Anyway, a few days later, I pick up the paper and he'd been run over and killed in London. Uh, he was for a conference. And uh, um, so, you know, the idea of calling him up for an interview and talking to him is obviously uh, I was too late. And um, I did, con you know, stay in touch with the family and I got the right to uh, they were they, uh, you know, gave me access to all his material eventually, his personal journals, his archives, his talks, his lectures, and even his personal therapy sessions, because he went through a lot of therapy himself as a psychiatrist. So I had a, a really um, an uh, unprecedented, you know, window into his life, and that's what, what got me, you know, going on a book. Wow, getting that kind of access is amazing. But the funny thing, Ralph, as you're talking about that, I'm picturing me. <laughs> you know, I, I see somebody on TV, and I think I'm going to send him an email. <laughs> I, uh. I, I I see a a blurb about your book, The Believer. I need to reach out to Ralph. And uh, uh, so that's kind of how I operate, too. Um, so far, I haven't been the, given the kind of access you have, but I've had the opportunity to speak to some really wonderful people. And, and the way this is starting off, I don't think that's going to change at all with you. Um, this, uh, I, I believe we're going to have a, a really good time today. So, yeah, it's, it's amazing getting to, to talk to people like that. Um, well, you know, it is it, a lot of persistence and it's not guaranteed. I've tried to do stories in my time that didn't work out. And, uh, you know, the family um, at the time I reached out to them was uh, grieving and in deep mourning uh, for, for for John, their father and, and husband. And um, so um, it was not a great time to, to you know, to propose a more research on, on him, but yeah. uh, eventually I think they realized that it was a way of preserving his legacy. And every every author, you know, um, uh, strives to get access to material that no one else has had. And luckily I, I had that, I got that. I mean, I, got, I was able to put together the story of the investigation into him at Harvard, which has never been made public, but I, I found the evidence, you know, the um, documentation in his in his files. And his meeting with the Dalai Lama, which was never publicized because the Dalai Lama is kind of publicity shy when it comes to aliens. Yeah. So um, anyway, uh, it was it was very rewarding. To say the least, that is amazing. So as you were doing the, the research, was there something we've got about three minutes in this in this first session we're going to talk. But was there something that just really surprised you as you first started doing the research on him? Well, uh, this will probably take us into the next segment so we can resume. But, <laughs> sure. Uh, I was very interested in his uh, thorough research. He was very serious about the subject, and he did uh, a lot of um, interviewing of experiencers himself, uh, which he put in his books. And I did interviewing. I, I interviewed experiencers on my own for my for the book. Um, so I was very impressed with his knowledge and his background and he was not a lightweight. He came to this with real scholarly credentials. So, and I also found that he was a real human being. He had flaws like everybody else. He, uh, how he came to it, uh, the, the interest in the topic through the death of his mother, his birth mother, when he was a little baby and that influenced him a lot and searching for things that, you know, he was always missing in his life. So, you know, I, I saw that and, um, uh, and, and the whole field, I mean, I knew nothing about it when I went in. So the idea that these people, these normal people had these experiences, um, and there was no other way to explain them except that something had happened to them in some, on some level of reality. Um, so that, that blew me away just like it blew him away. So, um, you know, uh, all these things, there's nothing about this topic that, 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 that is uninteresting. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Oh, you know, every aspect of it is, is amazing and mind blowing and controversial. And so, um, uh, it really got my attention like it got his. Absolutely. Um, it might be a good place for us to stop now, Ralph. Um, we actually did come in just a little bit 
uh, early, but that's okay. I hate to break a story, you know, when we're, when we're, when you're telling a story, I don't want to interrupt you. So this might be a good time for us to break away for just a minute and do some commercials, but we will be back with more Ralph Blumenthal on my side of the universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. Welcome back to My Side of the Universe on KOAL, 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. We're joined today by Ralph Blumenthal. He's got a couple different great books. He's got many books, but the two I'm the most interested in is his new one, The Believer, Alien Encounters, Hard Science and the Passion of John Mack, and also Miracle at Sing Sing, How One Man Transformed the Lives of America's Most Dangerous Prisoners. He's going to be presenting at Contact in the Desert. That's going to be June 25th and 28th. I went there a couple years ago. Best time ever. You get, it, it's a little different now. Um, uh, Ralph, I'm, I'm guessing everything is going to be virtual this year, right? You're yep. not going to be at a spot? Right. The only thing um, that it's, it's also still virtual, but it'll be live in the question period. So uh, there'll be, you know, questions in real time. Oh, perfect. So it's, it's a little different. When I went, um, it wasn't uncommon to, to, be standing next to a presenter or be surrounded by two or three presenters or um, just sit down for lunch next to somebody that was presenting. It was, it's really a great event. So um, I encourage people to check it out. It's going to be a little different in the virtual sense, but still should be really fun. Um, so do, do find contact in the desert and see what's going on. So Ralph, while we were on break, we talked a little bit, and, and you mentioned how much um, how much activity was in the West, and what was it that you found in the West that was intriguing as far as what had happened with experiencers and the different things you were studying and researching? Well, um, there's something special about the American West. I think it may have to do with the Native American tradition, which is very spiritual, but uh, throughout the West, and certainly includes Utah, there are many, many sightings of, uh, um, you know, UFOs and um, accounts of uh, and encounters with uh, anomalous uh, creatures. And uh, as I said, some of that uh, obviously goes back to the Native American tradition, which is rich in, uh, you know, folklore and stories of uh, shamanic beings that changed form and humans that made contact with them. And, um, uh, you know, the, the more you go into and get into the alien abduction field, the more you realize this is not something that, you know, was invented with Betty and Bonnie Hill and, you know, in the 1960s. Um, this goes back uh, to ancient tra traditions around the world. Um, every um, uh, ancient literature has stories of, you know, beings that uh, interacted with humans. And you could say, well, this is just part of, you know, folklore or it's just the oral, you know, accounts handed down, stories. But it may be more than that. There may be actual uh, histories of encounters that we, we don't understand to this day. Um, so, you know, uh, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, certainly where, you know, where my publisher, University of New Mexico Press, is based um, with the Roswell incident in 1947, um, it's just a very rich uh, source of material, uh, the West, and uh, um, the, you know things that have never to this day been explained. Yeah, without question. And as you as you were doing your research, Ralph, a, a friend of the show that's been on many many times, Chuck Zukowski, he he um, was plotting out where he was seeing UFO activity and also. Uh, cryptozoology, um, you know, the different creatures like the shapeshifters you mentioned or, or you know, mm -hmm. other things for local areas. And he noticed, and I, I can't, I can never remember which parallel it is. It's either the 37th, 38th, or 39th that runs kind of in the, the southwest and, and into the southeast of America is where a huge chunk of these take place. Did you notice anything like that in your research? Well, I don't know so much about that, but I know that in the, uh, you know, the story about Skinwalker Ranch in Utah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, that was seen as some kind of portal uh, because uh, a lot of uh, very strange, unexplained events happened there with, at one point, uh, some kind of a being emerging from a tunnel of light 
And this was all, you know, documented by people who were there. Robert Bigelow, the aerospace entrepreneur who bought the ranch, funded a lot of research. I understand some of that research is still going on by the uh, bil another billionaire who bought the ranch afterwards. Um, so it's a very strange place. Now, whether that is because of, um, you know, it's, it's on a latitude that uh, somehow has special meaning or whether there's some, you know, other, other reason. Um, but there, there's certainly certain hot spots uh, yes, um, yes. around that, that come up again and again. And uh, so that, who knows, that could be an explanation. Yes. We, and we broadcast very close to Skinwalker Ranch. We're, if, uh, you know, as the crow flies, we're probably 35 minutes away. Uh, to drive to it is less than an hour from Price. So, yeah, we're oh. very, very close to Skinwalker and very familiar with it in these parts. It's a great place. And, and there's there's a lot going on in central Utah as far as sightings. Um, there's a, a, a large number of experiencers, actually, um, that that we've had on the show that have talked about what they, what they saw and what took place. And... Um, just something I'm I'm curious, as you were talking to these people and you started collecting the information, did did certain commonalities start to stand out on, on what happened during their experiences? Yeah, um, um, that, that's a very good point. I mean, um, th there were certainly commonalities in the experience. There were no common denominators in the exper experiencers themselves. Um, which is extremely interesting and caught John Mack's attention. Um, when he started hearing these stories from people, uh, he noticed that they came. these people came from all walks of life, uh, all parts of the, the country and the world, actually. Um, they were blue-collar people and professionals and psychiatrists and police officers, uh, men and women, and sometimes children as young as two. Um, who said, uh, you know, later that the, they, they told stories that they went, flew up in the sky with a little man. And uh, so children could not be accused of having read books about this or, yeah. you know, influenced by movies they had seen. So, um, so what was interesting was the uh, extreme diversity of people with these experiences. Now, the experiences themselves seem to fall into a general pattern but with, uh, with many, many small differences. Uh, so the pattern was that these people would be uh, in their bedrooms at night, sleep or awake, on, but not always in their bedrooms. They could be out driving. In one case, there was a woman driving a snowmobile. It could be in broad daylight, people walking around. They become aware of um, a, a bright light, some kind of a craft. Uh, their memory is, is affected. Things grow hazy. Um, they feel they're, you know, taken into a craft by these um, beings, small gray beings, with some taller figures, and uh, so all kinds, some kinds of medical procedures are involved. Sometimes with a reproductive uh, element, as if you know, the women are, uh, have have the eggs forcibly removed, and men contribute sperm, and then later they're abducted again and shown. Uh, they're, they're hybrid children. This is the stories they tell. Mm -hmm. So that's the so-called core abduction narrative. But within that, the stories are extremely different with many different details so that um, it, it, it's not as if they're reading off some script, you know, that they all tell the same story. And that's what convinced John Mack that um, that they were telling the truth, basically, that it was not a truth recognizable in our reality. Um, clearly, it was happening in some other dimension that is not visible ordinarily in you know broad daylight to everybody uh, walking around. But um, uh, it was both the commonality of the experience and the um, original details that made them so so striking that um, that convinced him that something indeed uh, had happened. And so when you're talking about the, you know, this taking place in another dimension where people don't see it, as I've talked to different experiencers and people that study this, they're telling me, and, and I'm hoping that this is true with what you found as well, that it doesn't matter where you are. If you're out on a lonely road in the West or if you're downtown Manhattan, um, if they want to have you with them, it's going to happen. Is that yeah. fairly true? And that's, that's a very good summary of the situation. 
And, uh, you know, sometimes there are witnesses. Uh, John Mack was very, um, you know, uh, consumed with the idea that uh, there were in some cases um, uh, witnesses who, who saw something. And in one case he studied, uh, two little girls were having a sleepover. And uh, during the night they became aware of some kind of a craft landing outside the house where they were staying. And the, uh, the mother of one of the girls came down during the night to check on the girls and found them missing. Uh, so she alerted the police. There was a lot of alarm. Obviously, they searched everywhere, couldn't find them. And a few hours later, the girls turned up again in their beds. And later, you know, during um, uh, you know, hypnosis and even in conscious recollection, they recalled an encounter with uh, alien beings. So uh, in that case, um, there was corroboration from the mother that they were physically missing. That was rather unusual. Um, it, it's more it's more uh, common for someone to you know uh, go through some kind of an abduction experience while the partner, let's say, if they're in their bedroom, uh, is switched off or fast asleep or can't be roused, and so that it's not witnessed by somebody else. Um, so, so that's the you know w one of the many mysteries with the phenomenon that sometimes there's um, uh, witnesses, sometimes. Um, the witnesses are, are, are in a deep uh, state of unconsciousness and can't be roused. There's one famous case I talk about in the book that uh, where children, school children in Zimbabwe, in southern Africa, uh, witnessed a landing and emergence of two small beings um, who interacted with the children, didn't abduct them, but they got telepathic messages from these beings. They watched them, the children. They drew pictures of them later, 60 different children. So you could say, well, that was a multiple witness uh, incident. So, um, um, th you know, th that, that is one of the things that really convinced John McAfee. Yeah, and those kind of things would definitely get your, get your attention. And, and it's, it's just fascinating to hear how much information you got. How long, how long do you think it took you to, to put this book together? What, what do you guess the hours were as far as the research side of it? Well, I spent on and off, Todd, I spent 16 years on this book, Ooh. which is <laughs> spent on a book. Now, you know, it wasn't every day, but uh, from the time I heard that he'd been run over, I started to, and I contacted the family for access to his archives uh, to when the book came out was 16 years. And uh, a lot of that involved, you know, going through the huge archive of material that he had assembled uh, because he was, thank, thank goodness for me, he was a real saver. Uh, he taped a lot of his, um, his speeches, his, his lectures, his, uh, his own therapy sessions. He kept uh, voluminous notes of everything he, you know, was looking into. And all that had to be gone through. So it was a huge, uh, you know, research project. But um, I'm, I'm really glad it was there. Uh, you know, nothing in my book is made up. You know, often an author will imagine dialogue or say that, you know, he might have been thinking this or that. I don't have to say that because I know what John Mack was thinking. He recorded it in his journals and in his notes. So um, everything is absolutely true. There's no, you know, fiction involved in this book at all. Um, but, um, uh, anyway, so that, you know, it, it was a long, it was a long slog. Yeah. And, and I know this is probably too big a question to even answer, but as you're talking about all the material you had to read through and listen to and look at, and, and then talking to people as well, it feels overwhelming to me. How did you, how did you prioritize what you were going to do and, and proceed to do it? This, this seems to me like most people would have given up just because of the, the sheer amount of, of information that was there. Well, that's, that's a very good question. Um, uh, the only way I can answer it is this way. Um, once um, any writer, you know, delves into a project, he or she assembles a huge amount of material. And the first, uh, you know, uh, mission uh, is to assemble the material, to take notes on everything that's out there. The next thing is to figure out how to shape it um, into a story, a narrative. And that, that took a lot of, that's really what took the bulk of 16 years, because I had to figure out, how do, how do I tell the story? What's the beginning? 
Um, the beginning is not when John Mack was born, because that's not the interesting part. You know, that's his childhood. That you go back to later. But um, the, the, the challenge is to weave all these elements in his life before he became involved in, in alien abduction. Why did he get interested in alien abduction? What are the steps in his life? Um, uh, and, of course, then his background comes in. But then all the things that happened to him as a result of his interest in alien abduction, the Harvard um, uh, investigation that he had to endure, uh, and then what? at the end, uh, he moved on from alien abduction into wider areas of anomalous activity, including life after death. He was very interested when he himself was, was killed. Um, so uh, the, the real challenge, and this is what I'll be talking about in Contact in the Desert in the workshop, is, um, you know, how does a writer shape this material? And I'm not saying it had to be this way. Another writer would have gone about it a different way, maybe a better way. Sure. Uh, this is the way I came up with it. But um, so um, but that's always the challenge. How do you shape material that it's so first of all, so it's not boring. So it's not an encyclopedia entry. Um, how do you shape it into a story um, and bring readers with you so that they are, you know, uh, co um, uh, adventurers with you on this on this, you know, adventure that they discover the character along with you discover the character. So that's all the things that go into it. That's what took so long. That is fantastic. Uh, we're going to break away, Ralph, and do a do a few things. But don't worry, everybody. We're going to be back with more. Ralph Blumenthal on My Side of the Universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. Welcome back to My Side of the Universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. I'm Todd Wilcox, and we're joined by Ralph Blumenthal today, talking about his book, The Believer, and also his <clears throat> opportunity to, pre to present at Contact in the Desert. And Ralph, when, when you were telling us about your process on how you put the book together, something that came to mind for me was earlier you said that the book picks you. And I almost wonder with with a book, especially a big book like this, where there's so much information, if it's almost like and I, I apologize, I can't remember the artist, but um, one of the one of the artists um, from uh, hundreds of years ago said that he, he didn't sculpt um, statues. Um, the the piece was inside it and he just removed the That's, rock. Um, yeah, Michelangelo said that. OK. Uh, he brings out the sculpture that's in in the block of marble. That was a brilliant, um, you know, formulation that the sculpture exists. It's kind of a Zen thing, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and he just, you know, shaves away some pieces and then lets the sculpture come out. So, um, you know, I must say that in, in the course of this book, I got what I consider certain downloads of information at various times. Now, it could be my, my mind was working overtime and I just solved certain problems when I wasn't thinking about it, as often happens, you know, when you're sleeping or dozing and the solution comes to you. But it also could be, you know, as often happened in, in these cases of experience I talked about, uh, information came from off earth somehow to them um, that scientists have said this very commonly that they came up with a solution to a problem not because they followed a series of steps methodically but suddenly some information popped into their head as if it was implanted from you know uh, extraterrestrial intelligence sources so I'm not saying that happened to me exactly that way but I certainly uh, got guidance. I felt at certain times from things that uh, you know, my mind worked out when I when I wasn't thinking about it. Excellent. That that uh, makes sense. And uh, again, I'm just my mind. I'm absolutely overwhelmed how you put all this together. Um, but but you're an experienced writer and author, and this is what you do every day. So it would be much easier for you to to put this together well, than never easy. me. It's never each each book is a problem. And, uh, <laughs> It's not successfully solved, but uh, it's a struggle each time. And I, I'm very happy the way this turned out. I'm hearing, you know, good things from people, but it's it's never guaranteed. Um, and not easy, that's for sure. And uh, 
So another thing we talked about, Ralph, was was what got John into this. Um, yeah, this is um, a really interesting story, which I trace in the book. Uh, he was born in a very you know conventional German Jewish household, a pretty wealthy family. Um, his father was a professor. His mother died when he was eight and a half months old of, of um, uh, appendicitis. And her absence, you know, for a young child haunted him his whole life. So he was driven always to seek for what was missing. So that might have been a factor in his search. But then his father remarried and his stepmother was a professor, too. So he grew up in a very conventional uh, academic home. Um, but then um, uh, he was also a rebel and he got interested in all kinds of interesting things uh, as a psychiatrist. And he... Um, uh, he got interested in social causes. Uh, he helped found mental health services in Cambridge for, for poor people. Um, and he uh, became a protester against nuclear weapons. He was very concerned about the danger to humanity from, you know, atomic weapons. And then he wrote this biography of, of T.E. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia, that got him interested in the Middle East and peacemaking. And he went to the Middle East and met with Yasser Arafat and, you know, uh, tried to um, uh, advance peace between the Arabs and Israelis. And then he went out to um, Esalen on the, on the Pacific coast, uh, you know, that think tank that was doing all kinds of interesting things in the 60s, experiments. And he got into holotropic breathing, a way of, uh, you know, changing a level of consciousness without drugs, even though he also tried psychedelic drugs. Uh, but this was a way of, of uh, elevating consciousness to thing. And he, um, he found, uh, he, he connected with this world outside the four corners of our, you know, of our, of our material world. He saw that there was something out there that couldn't explain uh, this, this um, you know, mysterious spirituality. So that sort of opened the way. And then he met Bud Hopkins, uh, an artist who was, you know, very interested in alien abduction, who was interviewing experiencers long before Mac got into it. Yes. And, and Bud Hopkins showed him letters he had gotten from people. And, and, and Mac originally thought they must be crazy, you know, these people and, and, and Bud Hopkins, too. Um, <laughs> but then he, you know, he started talking to these people himself. And the more he got into it, the more he realized that these people were, were other than their, their strange story, they were completely normal. Yes. They came from all walks of life, as I said, including little children. And um, he found no evidence of insanity or psychopathology, um, no history in their you know, background that would make them believe in certain things that were not true. And um, um, then he, you know, he compiled the evidence, these sightings of UFOs and the multiple witness accounts and the uh, uh, sometimes damage to the foliage outside where a UFO supposedly landed. So that there was some physical evidence. He, he, you know, he verified the scars that some people had on their bodies afterwards after abduction that they didn't remember, you know, having beforehand. In one case, a um, quadriplegic who could not inflict the scars on himself because he couldn't move. Um, so, you know, he, he put all this together and um, uh, he and he was very convinced. I mean, he, he, he couldn't say, of course, that it was absolutely true uh, in an absolute sense because there was no final uh, evidence, proof. There just doesn't, it doesn't exist in these cases. But um, he could not find any explanation that was better than what the people gave them, um, gave him, um, you know, their own stories. So he said, look, if somebody comes up with a better explanation, uh, I'll, I'll listen to it. I'll credit it. But all the so-called skeptics who were saying, oh, these people are crazy. Oh, it's sleep paralysis. or it's a nightmare. Well, John Mack wrote a book about nightmare. He knew what nightmares were. So he knew that these accounts were not nightmares because the people – um, uh, felt they were happening in absolute reality. And later when they were recounting the stories, they showed um, completely appropriate affect. You know, they would cry, they would scream, they would weep, they would curse. Um, and, and they weren't making it up. He said, this is what I do as a psychiatrist. I know when people are, are lying or faking. Yes. So he put all this together. And he said, if, if these skeptics who come up with the, you know, the quick answers to everything um, could explain 
uh, all the things that you know I'm seeing, I'll take their explanation, but nobody ever did. Yeah, they never. Yeah, got you with that. So he, uh, so he was working with Hopkins, wasn't he? He was, and they had a, a, a little. They had a kind of a falling out at one point because Hopkins was very attached to the idea that this was happening in absolute reality. These things were completely real. These encounters, uh, they were traumatic, um, uh, and almost only traumatic. That the, that the aliens were. Uh, what they did to people was um, he. It was there was almost a moral element to it, or immoral element. It was evil what they were doing. They were, you know, creating a hybrid race. They were torturing or tormenting people, and um, it was happening in reality. And David Jacobs, uh, a, a Temple University professor who also was um, regressing people, came to pretty much the same conclusion as Hopkins. Now Mac took a different path. He said, yes, it was traumatic, um, but uh, the people he heard from, the experiences, had a, um, a message of spiritual growth that they came out with, that they felt attached to the alien beings on some level, that they felt a love in the universe, that they felt uh, given a mission to um, save the planet from destruction and pollution um, and um, uh, so that there was some purpose to, to these encounters that he he heard from these people. Now, why these people didn't say the same thing to Bud Hopkins is part of the mystery. Either Bud Hopkins wasn't listening as closely or he got the people who didn't feel that kind of, um, you know, positive energy from the encounters. But for whatever reason, Mac and Bud Hopkins had different views of this experience and uh, and that drove them apart. They eventually reconciled because they were working on the same problem, but uh, they were taking two different paths. So I'm I'm almost wondering if at the at the very core of things, and and who knows? I'm you know from the outside looking in, but do you think there's some not a preconceived notion, but just their overall philosophy on the world and people in general? Maybe maybe John Mack came from a more positive side where he believed all these things were possible, peace in the Middle East, those kind of things. And, and maybe Bud Hopkins and David Jacobs came from a more soured position, and, and so they tended to find that. Yeah, that's what critics said, and I, I think there's something to that. Uh, I think Mack uh, did bring something of his worldview to it, I mean, he was a good enough psychiatrist and smart enough to know that he 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 couldn't or shouldn't lead his um, you know his research subjects or the people he was helping. He could never decide if they were patients or research subjects. They weren't patients because they weren't really. There's nothing wrong with them except this experience that they had. Yeah. But anyway, uh, he did bring a certain uh, optimism uh, to his research, and that may uh, you know have. Uh, have tainted his research to some extent or, or affected it. Uh, he, he tried to guard against that. He was smart enough to know that it was a risk. Yes. Um, and, but I, I think you put your finger on something. And the Harvard uh, people who were investigating him uh, also raised that question. Was he a little too enthusiastic? Was he a little too eager uh, to confirm his, his view that you know, this was a great reawakening of the human spirit, you know, based uh, off Earth. Um, and this was the mission of, you know, these beings, etc. cetera. Um, so that, that may have entered into it. And yet um, he was going with the evidence he, he got from these people. So he didn't, he didn't make them say what they said. He didn't get up, plant, um, you know, ideas in their head. This came uh, separately. But he might have been more sensitive um, to that approach, and and maybe that influenced them to some extent. And I'm as as you were talking about this. Another thing I I was thinking is, as he's doing the different things to elevate consciousness through breathing and and all the things he's studying and interested in, maybe he drew those people to him, and and maybe Bud and and uh, David Jacobs drew the other side and, and yeah. maybe maybe they're both right and for whatever reason his his um beacon or whatever brought the the people that had the po more positive experiences to him while the other two drew the other people 
Yeah, no, Todd, you, you really put your finger on something. And I think uh, he recognized that, and certainly his critics said that, that um, he, if, if you had that, and that's actually in my book, uh, if you had a, a, a strictly um, traumatic experience with no, you know, redeeming aspect, you went to, you went to Bud Hopkins with that. If you had a, a uh, you know, triumphant, transcendent experience, you went to John Locke with that. Uh, I'm oversimplifying it, but that was a, a little bit, there was something to that, uh, that people uh, gravitated to him uh, who had a certain kind of experience, and um, he became known for that. So, um, uh, but that, I mean, that really oversimplifies it, because if you read his book, his first book, Abduction, 13 Case Studies, there's plenty of trauma in those stories that are just plain terrifying of what the people went through. Um, so uh, it's not as simple as, you know, we just laid out, right. but there is that, there is that nuance to it. For sure. <clears throat> and, uh, Dr. Jacobs, he, he also found that things might, things changed over the years. So at first the, the people were all talking about one type of encounter and then it became a different type of encounter until I, I believe the last ones he was doing, it was more people talking about the hybrid children and getting to see those children, where the first ones were about just the horrific um, uh, operation type things that were happening to them and, and being lab rats and, and those kind of things. But throughout the decades, it evolved to where they started talking about the painful, horrific things. And then finally, it was more of the, the positive and seeing the hybrid children, um, which isn't overly positive because you've had children made without your consent that are that, that right. knows what the other thing is. But it but they did evolve. Uh, right. Well, I mean, there was uh, I, I did talk to interview people who thought that, um, you know, the mission of the uh, alien beings had been accomplished. But they created this hybrid race and that and then abduction sort of tapered off. And, um, you know, we don't, uh, Jacobs thought that these hybrids are walking among us. I mean, that this is, uh, this has already happened. Um, but, um, again, I mean, it's nothing anybody can prove. I, I talked to somebody, an experiencer who was convinced he was a hybrid. Um, and my first question, which everybody would agree would be the first question is, well, have you ever been tested? Did you have your blood tested? Did you have your DNA tested? anything unusual about you and he said yeah he's been tested and he has normal blood type and nothing you know has showed up on any tests so you have to say well are the aliens so advanced that they are creating these hybrids who look exactly like normal everyday you know, human beings and can't be told apart um or um have they just not been able to you know identify the the differences uh, it's, it's part of the mystery and again there's no answer to it um uh, just like the implants, the supposed implants that people think they got, and then when they're analyzed, they fall short of absolute uh, proof that these are uh, off-world devices that could not have been made on Earth. I'm not aware of anything that has that level of proof uh, with it. You know, people have sneezed out certain things that they were convinced were implanted in their nasal passages or pellets that dropped out of their, you know, ear or that were recovered later. But none of these uh, furnish the absolute proof that this is an alien device that was implanted. Um, that's why this field is so, um, you know, uh, hellishly difficult to, to come down and um, and so mysterious and so interesting because there's no there's no uh, smoking gun here. Yeah, and and interesting is 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 the correct word, but it just feels like such a small word for <laughs> for how yeah. interesting this is. <laughs> well, well, the truth is, we don't know everything there is to know. I mean, I think that's a fair, a very safe statement. Yes, the physicists are finding new stuff about the universe all the time. You know, ninety plus uh, percent of the stuff in the universe remains unidentified. They don't know what it is: dark matter, dark energy. Um, so when you think of all the things that, that scientists don't know, um, you have to come away with great humility and say that, yeah, this is an experience that's completely mysterious. Um, it sounds completely crazy and everybody agrees that it is, including John Mack. Um, uh, it makes no sense because you can't see it happening in everyday reality. And yet, 
um, you hear these stories from people who are absolutely convinced it happened to them, um, the fragmentary bits of you know proof and evidence, um, and it's it's just a tantalizing mystery. Without question, Ralph, we have run out of time. Uh, I can't thank you enough. I've I've got uh, two pages of notes, so I know this has been a fun fun experience for the listeners. Based on my notes and how fast time goes by, I know how well it's going to be received, and people are going to love. Uh, you know, they they absolutely love it. So, um, thank you for being on. I would love to have you on again in the future sometime. Okay, I'd love to do it. A lot a lot more to cover. Very good. And don't forget to to check out his book, Believer, Alien Encounters, Hard Science, and the Passion of John Mack. Uh, You can order that through your website or through Amazon. What's the best way to get that, Ralph? Well, you can get it everywhere. Amazon sold out the first printing. They're getting new copies now. You can order them uh, right now. They're shipping in a few days. Uh, Also, I love to support independent bookstores. Yes. They've been very good to me. Um, they need the business. They're very supportive of authors. Um, there's a Kindle version, uh, Amazon's Kindle, so you can read it instantly on your Kindle. Um, and there will be an audio version shortly. They just contracted for that. So there's a lot of ways to get it, but um, you can order it in many different ways right now. Fantastic. Again, thank you, Ralph, for joining us. Real pleasure, Todd. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be right back with more My Side of the Universe on KOAL 1073 FM and 750 AM. Welcome back to My Side of the Universe on KOAL 1073 FM and 750 AM. I'm your host, Todd Wilcox, and did we have fun or what? Ralph Blumenthal, that man did a lot of research, put together a great book. He knows his stuff. What a pleasure to talk to him. Uh, I had so much fun and have a lot of respect for what he's done and the books he's written. He's going to be back. We're going to talk about Miracle at Sing Sing another time and continue with his book, The Believer. I'm very excited. You can see him at Contact in the Desert. And if there's any um, future authors out there, it might be fun to to get involved in the part he's doing about the book process, how you put the book together. And uh, yeah, really nice guest and a lot of great information. He talked about some people we know. Uh, we've, had, we've had Dr. David Jacobs on here. We've talked about Bud Hopkins many times. We've talked about John Mack many times. And so, yeah, it was a really, really fun, fun, fun episode. Thank you for joining me. This truly is the fastest hour of the, the week and without question, my favorite hour of the week. Thank you for joining me every week. And uh, I, I just, I really can't thank you enough, whether you're driving or sitting at home or maybe listening to it later, even sneaking it in at work. Uh, thank you for joining us on my side of the universe. And just remember, you matter until you multiply yourself by the speed of light squared. Then you energy. We'll see you next week on my side of the universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. And don't you forget to go see our sponsors, the Eastern Utah History and Tourism Association. Darren and Sue Ann, they are great people. Thank you again for joining me on My Side of the Universe on KOAL 107.3 FM and 7.50 AM. See you next week.